Physics World. Hello, I'm Mateen Durrani, editor of Physics World. And in this podcast, we'll be tackling a subject close to everyone's heart, money. Well, not money exactly, but economics. In fact, we'll be meeting a physicist who thinks he knows exactly why it is that some countries in the world are so much more successful than others. He reckons that if we really want to understand why South Korea, say, is so much stronger than Greece, we need to turn to ideas from physics, such as information, order and organisation. That physicist is Cesar Hidalgo, who leads the Macro Connections Group at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology at its famed Media Lab. He set out his thinking in a new book called Why Information Grows, and I met Hidalgo recently at the headquarters of the Institute of Physics in London. I started off by trying to understand what exactly he means by the word information. I study information because matter and energy are conserved, you know, and what changes in the universe when we're trying to understand complexity and we're trying to understand humans and society and economy is not the amount of matter or energy that we have, but more than anything else, the way in which matter is arranged. And that is information. So if you think about it, uh, the atoms that were available to cavemen are the same atoms that were available to us. And the difference between our world and that of cavemen is enormous, but that difference is encoded in the way in which we have ordered those atoms around us by building cities and cars and planes and communication networks and ocean-going ships and so forth. So what, what I thought it was more interesting to study was not uh, matter or energy, but the way in which we arrange things, and that is information. So Hidalgo seems to have a very holistic view of the concept of information. But how does he use this way of thinking to understand the world around us? Information is a very complicated word because when people use the word information, usually they mean very different things. And in why information grows, I use a very narrow definition of information, which is physical order. So one way of thinking about information in that context is like think of a strand of DNA. You know, a strand of DNA is full of long-term and short-term correlations that you would lose if you would basically reshuffle that strand of DNA. Those correlations are information. Think about the information that you have on your hard drive. If I take your hard drive and I would flip every bit on your hard drive in your computer at random, you would lose the information about your kids' pictures and about the book that you're writing and about many things, you know? Obviously, your hard drive would not change in capacity. It would be able to store the same amount of information, but the amount of that capacity that's being used to store physical order would have decreased. So what Hidalgo seems to be saying is that there's a clear difference between the concept of a message and its meaning. That's not a new idea, and it goes back to mathematicians like Claude Shannon and Warren Weaver back in the 1940s. Obviously, I cannot take credit for that distinction because that's something that Shannon and, and, and Weaver emphasised forcefully on the mathematical theory of communication. But people tend to confuse information and meaning because people are computers. And as computers, we cannot help but interpret any incoming message, you know, and because we interpret those incoming messages, we think that the meaning comes from the message. But the message and the meaning are different things. The message is just uh, encoded in physical order. So, for instance, when I speak, I'm writing on uh, waves of pressure in the air, you know, uh, and then when that set of pressure waves lands in my ear and they get transformed and, and they go into my brain, I interpret those and then I construct the meaning based on the knowledge that I had prior to that. But the message did not contain the meaning. The message was just a burst of physical order. And that is information. Now you've heard of information being defined in terms of bits and bytes. But one concept that Hidalgo introduces in his book is the idea of a person byte, which is essentially the total amount of knowledge that any individual can hold. 
I was intrigued by this idea of a person bite. So I asked Hidalgo to explain what he meant. One of the things that I discuss in the book is uh, how the economy works as a computer. And that's a computer that works on a hardware that it's uh, society and social networks. So when you think about that computer, you have to try to understand what are the natural units that you have to use to understand the computational capacity of those systems. And the natural unit there is the person byte, which is the maximum computational capacity that an individual can have. And why is that unit important? Well, because when you are producing something, whether it is like a, something as simple as you know, a ceramic cup or something as complex as an aircraft, you know, those production processes differ in the amount of knowledge and know-how that you need to have to be able to accomplish them. You know, they, they differ in the amount of computational capacity that you need to have. And if you're making something very simple that fits within the computational capacity of a human, meaning that it requires less than a person byte, you can do it alone. But when you're doing something more complex that requires many person bytes of knowledge and know-how, you are forced to devise that, that knowledge and know-how in a network of people. So the person byte is the natural unit that you can use to try to understand the volumes of computation that are accumulated in society. So is this person byte, is that just a, an idea, a qualitative number, or do you put a quantitative value to this? It is, a, it is not a narrowly defined quantity. A person byte is not, let's say, a certain number of ops or flops. You know, it's a unit of computation, not of information, but person byte was easier for people to, to relate to. But it's, it's not an hourly defined quantity because, of course, there's different people that differ on their capacity to process information and compute. But it's an idea that uh, helps you understand that the capacity of individuals is very small and finite compared to that of society at large. You know? And therefore, the computational capacity of society at large needs to be divided and distributed in terms of this unit of individual capacity. So it is not a narrowly defined quantity, but it's also not hyperly loosely defined because obviously a person byte is much larger than an ant byte or a dog byte. Basically what Hidalgo is proposing is that economies are in networks of individuals and people. And what's important is how know-how spreads from one place to another, and also why that knowledge sometimes fails to spread. You can't, for example, just transplant advanced aerospace industries from developed to developing nations because the know-how isn't held in any single person or even a single firm. And it's here that he introduces another idea, the concept of a firm bite. So what makes the growth of information difficult in the universe is that for information to grow, you need to have systems that are able to compute, meaning that they can take all forms of information and recombine them into new forms of information, into more sophisticated forms of physical order. That computation needs to be embodied on a physical system. So the simplest of those systems that you can think of is the biological cell. The biological cell is a computer that has a very finite capacity. So how does the cell transcend its finite capacity? Well, by creating multicellularity. Eventually, you know, by having a society of cells, you have a computer that is more powerful than the individual cell. People also, because they have a finite capacity, which is a person byte, need to come together and form networks of people to create complex things. But those networks of people also have a finite capacity. So at some point, our society needs to transcend those networks of people and create networks of networks of people, which are networks of firms. So the firm byte is the idea that the networks that we can form you know, in the market are networks that have a finite capacity and that eventually, when we want to understand the economy at large, we have to think that the activities that the economy produces are the result of a network of networks of people or a network of firms. And that quantization threshold, that finiteness, is what I call a firm byte.
Now, if you think all this sounds rather removed from mainstream physics, you're probably right. So I asked Hidalgo if he really sees himself as a physicist anymore. So I'm an anti-disciplinarian, but I'm also very empirical. So for example, the last three chapters of the book all deal with data that I use to validate these theories, you know? And there are many different patterns in data that is actually collected with a high level of precision that we can use to start validating the idea that the economy is a computer and that differences in income between countries come from the differences in the computational capacities of their economies. So to be honest, I'm not very comfortable with labels. You know, I try to find interesting problems and try to borrow knowledge from whatever discipline is available to get the best possible answer that I can. So sometimes uh, physics inspires me, sometimes economic sociology inspires me, sometimes I draw inspiration from design. I'm not picky. As long as it gets the job done, I'm up for it. So I think I've got the picture now. Hidalgo thinks you can't just judge the wealth of a nation on indicators like gross domestic product, total resources or levels of education. Economies aren't just aggregates. They're networks of interacting people and firms. Economies, in Hidalgo's vision, are like systems of distributed computers. And what those systems can do depends on the skills people have and how those skills fit together. But can you do anything with his research? I mean, is it going to change the way governments or businesses act? Turns out there's quite an interesting answer. When you think of economies as computers, and you understand that those computers are embodied on social networks, you realise that any policy that goes against the inclusion of people or that promotes some form of discrimination, even if it's not recognized as such, hurt these computers because they increase the cost of links, they fragment these computers apart, and they reduce their capacity to accumulate uh, computation and produce information. So, for example, policies that uh, would be against um, groups that have different sexual preferences is something that this theory tells, you know, are bad policies because you want to include diverse different type of people into the economy. Policies that are too aggressive in terms of immigration, you know, and those are actually much more popular than, than, than they should be, but they also uh, exclude the ability of people to uh, create international networks that they can use to compute things as well. So it, 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 it tells you that uh, if you want your economy to be able to be a healthy computer, you need to have uh, policies that uh, promote inclusion and tolerance and flow of people such that people can come together and do the thing that people do best, which is make information grow. So that was an interview with Cesar Hidalgo from MIT's Media Lab, talking about the application of information to economics. If you want to read a detailed review of Hidalgo's new book, Why Information Grows, do check out our website, physicsworld.com. The review is taken from the October 2015 issue of Physics World magazine. And if you want to read the rest of the magazine, download the Physics World app to your smartphone or tablet. All the best and see you next time. Physics World.